Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello, we are back on Ayers on the Road, and we are going to be on the road today for a little bit, just in the car, isolated. <laughs> in fact, you know, Linda, we, uh, we, we, kind of, we sometimes kind of assume that everyone listening knows us and has listened before and knows what we do on this show and what we're talking about and why we do the podcast, but we know we get new listeners every week, and let's, let's just take a minute and spin off of the name of the show. We, we It's been 10 years, Linda, 10 years we've been doing Ayers on the Road, give or take. No, yeah, not quite. No, it really no. is. I think it is. We'll have to check exactly. But the reason we named the show or the podcast Ayers on the Road is that at that time and for many years thereafter, we were really on the road. We were gone probably more than half the time. We were mainly traveling to do book tours or to give speeches, to give talks, to give presentations about parenting, about family, about marriage, about life balance, balancing our lives between our work and our family and our church callings and our personal interests and needs. And um, that went on pretty steadily until about a year ago, we were trying to slow down a little and spend more time at home. And then we got a great boost in that objective when the pandemic came along. So for the last, for the last year, Ayers on the Road, uh, which used to mean globetrotting and visiting over 100 countries, now meant we might get in the car and drive to the grocery store someday and be really, really careful. <laughs> Oh my goodness, thank goodness for the pandemic. We realize what it's like to stay home. But um I remember we 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 said to our producer, how about we change the name to Iris on the Family or Iris in the Basement or <laughs> whatever and uh he said, No, let's keep it the same because you know, it has a certain ring to it and people know what it is and people appreciate the change and I think one of the things this pandemic is going to do for us in hindsight, once we get past it sometime next year, is all the things we've been used to doing that we haven't done for a year or more are going to seem so sweet. Oh, they They're going are. to seem so wonderful. It's so true. And actually, it's been a nice chance for us to reflect on being on the road and the things of the road that we've been uh, our traveling, road, our you path, know, our yeah. road. Because we have had a lot of really sweet, so to speak, uh, experiences. Everyone's been touched hard by this pandemic. We another one of our children and families, their family. One of their whole families family went just down, came down with it the other day, and they were so careful. They were actually in Hawaii, and the they live on Maui, on were and the world. No cases, basically. So safe. Five days after they got here with their four kids. Um, guess what? One of the brothers or brother-in-laws um, passed it on. Passed it on and it <laughs> went right through their family. And we're just trying to hang on and get to the vaccine. We're old enough that we might get it sometime in the early new year. But, you know, when we reflect on that, I think when we look back, we're all going to say, 
you're gonna, we're going to say, well, here were the, the, the problems, the, the, the challenges, the difficulties, the hard times were obvious. But it may take a little longer to reflect on some of the good things. And one of the good things for so many of us is going to be not only what you said, Linda, the introspection, the time to sort of think will be a little more reflective because you're, you're not going out and doing things, but, but also the family time. I mean immediate family. I mean, we can't get together with our extended families, and so many of us are feeling that so desperately this this Christmas season as we come into it. But we've spent a lot of time with our own families in our own homes, and that's been a blessing and a curse for many. But we're going to look back and think about that, and we're also going to look back and think, well, what about those times when we, we could actually... You know, we didn't have anything to do in the evening. We could have a quiet evening at home. We may reflect with nostalgia on those quiet evenings at home. I think we will. And I'm at the point where I'm thinking, what am I going to regret not doing during this time? Oh, I had the time, yeah. It will will come to an end. But what will I regret? I mean, we've all done a lot of things. I was just talking to my friends on Zoom. (laughs) We're Zoom, Zooming everywhere. Um, and saying, is there any cupboard or drawer that you haven't cleaned out yet? <laughs> and, right. and they said, yeah, we still have a few. And uh, it really is amazing. The desert industries out here in Utah is just mobbed. You had to have an appointment to do that, too, because that's all, that's all people did at first, I think, is clean out closets and drawers and so on. But now, I look back on a lot of things that I did have a chance to do that I have, would never have done. Never have done, yeah. And, and again, we don't mean to be flippant or, hey, this has been kind of good and kind of bad and we'll get through it. We know that for this so many yeah. people, have lost, so many of you listening have lost your job, you've lost your sort of financial security, you've lost your health. And you, perhaps you lost loved ones. Uh, a lot of friends have lost... It's been such a tough time, but what what I was getting to, honey, is that we that the nature of this show over the last year has really changed because instead of saying, "Oh, we're checking in from from uh, you know Abu Saudi Dhabi. Arabia or <laughs> we're we're over here in uh, Greece today or something," we're now we're now telling stories. We, the last, if you were to look at the Ayers on the Road podcast over the last year or so. We're oriented to stories, telling stories. And the reason we do that is not only because we're not doing anything at the moment, so we have to go back to stories. It's because stories are so important. You know, when you hear a story, especially a story of a family, a family story from another family, it's always interesting if you're parents or if you're marriage partners because you you start thinking, you start realizing how different each marriage and each family is. But you also start picking up ideas and saying, well, maybe maybe I should do that. Or maybe that gives me the idea of something I might do in my family. There's not enough of that going on. We're stimulated by stories. And what, 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 when we tell stories from our family, we're not suggesting that you should try to copy them or try to do the same things. We're just saying stories motivate us to think about our own specific needs. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing this morning. I think, um, you know, we have been reflective, especially during the Christmas season. We've yeah. been thinking back through. Yesterday we saw, a, last night, we saw a real old-fashioned, true Western love story. And it was so <laughs> delightful 
Richard's dad loved cowboy stories and uh, westerns, and so we watched this really wonderful story. And I just thought, in case well, you want to know what it is, it's a it's a movie called Open Range, and uh, Robert Duvall and Kevin Costner and Annette Bening, and it was old fashioned. It made me think of all the times when my dad would take me and my brothers to the western. There was almost always a western playing. Yeah. Well, he was from the West, from the Wild West in Rollins, Wyoming, so you can see why. But but it made me start thinking about my childhood and what movies I used to watch. We went to bed last night yeah. talking about old, you know, Gunsmoke and... Uh, Bonanza, Bonanza, Leave It to Beaver. And... All those shows that we used to watch when we were kids. And some of if you younger people, sorry, we'll, we'll go on. <laughs> but um, I hope there's some nostalgia for you for the things that you're watching. Um, so, so, yeah, so anyway. I wanted you to take a trip through right. your past as we go through our past as we talk about Christmas traditions today and Chris, stories. Christmas stories, again. And doesn't that bring to mind so many things? You think of your youth, you think of the things you used to do as a kid on Christmas. You think of traditions. Traditions are so amazing around Christmas time and our children, especially the younger ones, but really not just the younger ones, they, they tend to want to hang on to those traditions, which illustrates, I think, Linda, how much security and, and sort of um, identity there is in traditions. If you try to change the way you trim your Christmas tree, your children will say, no, no, we don't do it that way, we do it this way. And so we wanted to tell you some of our Christmas traditions. Again, not that they're any better than yours, but that they, they, they cause us to think about our families. Um, one of the ones that has stayed with us for so long, many, many years ago, I think it was while we were in England, Linda, that we first began to have a Jerusalem supper. Yes. We and called we it a Jerusalem, Jerusalem supper, supper on supper. Christmas we, Eve. We should have called it a Bethlehem supper, a farewell meal, because that was really what it was all about. Well, we, it was about going to Bethlehem, it was about going, but they were going from the area around Jerusalem. Right. But well, actually, we should have called it a Nazareth supper, right. because they were leaving from Nazareth. Now, now we think of it, but oh well. Yeah, uh, yeah. But anyway, they um, we just call it Jerusalem supper because we... Um, gathered everybody together. We had some simple little costumes, some headgear that we'd picked up when we traveled to Israel. And, and then the costumes got more and more. We have a daughter who made some costumes. And we, at dinner time, we had all the food that people would have eaten in Jerusalem. We had unleavened well, that bread. Well, was you, Linda. You did such a good job. You went out and found things that actually were eaten in in the well, Holy Land 2,000 years ago. We we added as we went along, you know, we started with the unleavened bread and the honey. We found honeycomb. We had uh, fish, figs, which some of the kids like, and, and, and then after they realized that it's going to happen every year, just as well <laughs> learned to like this fish, they actually were pretty good, even though sometimes that tilapia tasted like dirt, but other than that. Well, and what we were trying to do, of course, honey, is get our children focused on Christ at Christmas. That's such a battle in the commercial it world sure of is. Christmas, although it may be less so this year because the malls are empty and so on. But yeah, it was so, and, and here's what happened. It was so interesting. We had the, the kernel of an idea. We'll sit around the table. We'll be Mary's family. One of our daughters will be Mary, and this, this son will be Joseph, and they're getting ready to go to Jerusalem. And we're the mom and the dad and the cousins and the townspeople, and we're there. 
sending them off and we're worried about them and we're asking them things. Well, how long's the ride? Well, is the donkey okay? Well, you know, will you be able to stop along the way? And, and what happened that was so amazing is the kids, even the younger ones, partly because we had the lights out and we were eating authentic food and there were candles and they got into it. They got in character. They started acting so like they were living then and, and asking real questions. They could questions. each be whoever they wanted. Sometimes Elizabeth came, sometimes Zacharias came, sometimes a shepherd or two showed up, sometimes a guy named Lar, Larf, <laughs> Larf showed he up. He must have been a Viking or something. But, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it was. it's really been a fun tradition. And now with so many little grandchildren, sometimes Mary's five years old, you know, but she's trying to do her part the best she can. And and uh, there's always a dad who's willing to be the donkey. And it, as the send-off goes off. Anyway, I, some of you may not, may not like that idea, but, but we had so much fun. Visualize it kind of like a prelude to the nativity that so many of you do, you know, where someone's a donkey and Mary rides off and and so on and th this whole dinner was the prelude to that and all the questions and and you'd think after one year you'd be done but every year it got more interesting every year there were more questions every year the kids were more into it every yeah. year the kids developed more and, and elaborate now costumes they've done their own thing and they're they're doing falafel i mean which is really authentic <laughs> and they're doing so many amazing things just in their own homes. We can we can travel around to, the, to our children's homes now and get in four or five Jerusalem suppers, which is pretty cool. Well, going on with that, just before the break, we want to give you a teaser. We're going to talk a little bit about how we tried to make our children think more about what they were going to give than what they were going to get. So Christmas stories. Stay with us. We'll take a little break, and we'll be right back talking about a different kind of Christmas this year, but traditions that will endure even through the pandemic. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back on Ayers on the Road. We're talking about Christmas stories. We're telling some personal traditions and Christmas stories from our own past, not that they'll be any better or any more important than your stories, but we think when you tell Christmas stories from one family to another, everyone is inspired. And what we left off talking about is how all of us as parents struggle to try to combine sort of the two parts of Christmas for children, one being the Jesus part, of course, the real part, and the other one being the Santa Claus part. And, you know, one is the, the religious and spiritual part, and one is the commercial part. And the commercial part can seem like the enemy sometimes. Right, it can. And, um, boy, the commercial part is... Uh, absolutely exploded online this year, of course, because it's hard to get out shopping. We were doing the same thing. So I, I think really the world's never going to be exactly the same because people have learned to do things differently. Yeah. But Christmas rolls around every year. One thing so. that we finally figured out, and we learned this from some other families, was that to try to combine Santa and Jesus in the same time frame, in real time, really gets confusing. There are even some studies on 
children starting to think of Jesus the way they think of Santa as an imaginary guy. I mean, even if they believe in Santa, they they start believing in Jesus in sort of the same way. And we went through a thing of trying to help our little children understand the difference between real imaginary and real real. And some of these things get a little complicated. And one thing we learned from some other families that really helped us was to separate the two by time and to essentially uh, devote Christmas Eve entirely within our family to thinking about Jesus, doing this Jerusalem supper that we talked about in the first half of the show and, and having the children give their gifts to each other and to us and us to them on Christmas Eve and focusing all the attention on the giver. So it's like, wow, Josh, how did you know this is what I wanted? Or that is such a thoughtful thing you made for your sister. And so that there's no emphasis at all on the getting. It's all on the giving and who gave what and how did you think of that gift and so on. And nothing to do with Santa, nothing to do with the big deal on Christmas morning, just Christmas Eve and Jesus. Well, and you've forgotten that we did not give our gifts because that, that was... Oh, yeah, well... It was just about the kids' the kid, That's true. That's a good point. The kids... Uh, we weren't, we were only receivers. They saved yeah. up their money, and they were so... They were sometimes more excited about what they had built or made or created or bought for a sibling than they were about anything they were getting for Christmas. They were so excited. Or that they'd gone to the dollar store and they were seven and they had, you know, one dollar for each gift and they gave you another potato peeler and they gave me <laughs> another screwdriver or yeah, whatever, but, but they'd wrapped it up. One year we said, you have to do something homemade and that was crazy. Oh, that, that was, was, yeah. That was so fun though. It was great. Anyway, don't figure out the numbers on that when we have nine children that each have gave each other a gift. But anyway, it really was a wonderful moment. I actually want to really advocate that because we see so many families, including those of our own children, struggling to integrate the commercial and the, and the spiritual. Just separate them. Just devote Christmas Eve entirely to Jesus and to the nativity and to all the things you already do, but don't try to integrate them on that night with other things. Just focus on the giving, focus on Jesus then you feel so much better as a parent now on Christmas morning. Just let it go. Santa comes and here's the gifts and here's all this stuff. And it's, you know, it just seems better if it follows the real, the real Christmas. On now, Christmas your Eve. grandparents, you might make a couple of suggestions, but you can't change things very much at this point. <laughs> yeah, anyway, true. going on. Um, now, let's talk about, let's talk about the idea of helping children become real givers at Christmas. We're kind of excited about this right now because last night we spent a little time on the phone with our 15-year-old granddaughter who has taken an idea that we had so many years ago and made it really big. We'll get to that, but first let us tell you the idea. How would you describe the original Children for Children, Linda? I think it happened when our oldest children were, were still uh, under eight years old. Oh, oh, yeah, when all the kids were just little, we, we decided we'll do, we'd do what we called a Children for Children concert. And, you know, our kids were taking piano lessons and everybody's kids were doing something or other. And uh, we just gathered neighborhood kids and asked them to come and prepare something and just to do a little simple number. It could be reading a poem, it could be doing a flip, it could be doing, you know, anything they wanted to um, 
to an audience of parents and grandparents and neighbors, and then the neighbors and grandparents and friends paid, paid <laughs> to, to watch to, him do this. To go to the concert. That, I just think back on that, and it was such a simple idea, but it was, it was almost destined to be successful because if you're a parent or a grandparent or someone with an interest in the child who's performing, you can't say, well, I don't want to go. And <laughs> we were, we had an admission fee the first few years that would, their parents were kind of paying through the nose to see this amateurish talent with the idea that the children would then say, we raised that money through our performance, through using our talents. It's our money now. The parents and the others paid to come to our concert. That's our money we earned, and we're now going to give it to uh, the children in Africa or to the uh, humanitarian group we've selected or to the homeless shelter, whatever they decided in advance they were going to do with this money that, that was their money because they raised it with their talents. Right. A Christmas well, concert, usually early in December. Well, and it, we really had a lot of fun with that. And there were parents who were willing to contribute a lot because the first year we, we raised money for a school in Bolivia right. that was... A whole school could be built for five thousand dollars, and or maybe it was less than that. I don't know, maybe, but anyway, no, it was five thousand dollars. It was yeah. amazing that we were able to, um, the parents and grandparents were able to see the hearts of these little children and contribute, and it went directly. We had a family who actually took the money to to uh, Bolivia, Bolivia, and that that was the kickoff, and that started it. And then, like so many traditions, that just locked in. And we were just not able to, um, you know, stop it. It just had a, had a life of its own. And and other families started having their own little Children for Children concerts. And I, here, here's what I think would be the three unique elements. Number one, the kids do it. They have to be in charge. They send out the invitation. This is our concert. We're raising the money with our talents. We've chosen the charity. That's number two. In advance, they choose a charity or a... Uh, where they're going to give the money and they let parents know in the invitations we're raising money for this charity here's how much it costs to come some years it was an admission charge to get into the concert some years it was just donate whatever you want and I remember one donate. one year our kids just were were almost overstruck with awe because someone gave them a hundred dollars as a donation and they're like whoa we're better than we thought <laughs> But it just it just became such a wonderful thing. And then the third thing is what you said, Linda, some form of personal delivery, somehow getting that money, the kids really perceiving it's our money, we raised it, we're giving it to help other children who don't have as much as we do. Yeah, so um, enter the pandemic. Yeah, and now. <laughs> and we have different families doing different things. And it's you can't really gather people, which is really so hard and so they they put their heads together these kids and said yeah. how how can we do this how can we do this and they went online and they said it to all their friends and all our friends we have kids that are doing social media uh, our children are doing social media and they are and we are uh, and we're they're saying okay getting the word just out. Yeah. record yourself doing a musical number or uh, there was there was some acrobatics on one of them i saw there was a um, one was showing a science project. Choir project that she. One was showing tricks with a soccer ball. And 
it was so amazing and they we just saw last night she has 30 40 kids maybe that on this thing where you can just go and watch these beautiful kids performing and then there's a donate button and people are donating we'll tell it. you where to go to see it it's called the children for children is it childrenforchildren.com i'm not sure we'll put it on the byu radio website the actual place where you can go to look at it but we're so proud of this 15 year old granddaughter and our two 15-year-old grandsons, twins, who designed the website right. and set it up the little and, help and from their dad, the but... with the donate button and so on. And so they, again, it's the same thing this year. Somehow they've found a way to carry on this tradition online. Next year, I'm sure they'll go back to the personal concerts because they're so much fun. They really, it's pretty amazing. We are astounded at what has happened to this because they all do it in their own way. Some raise just a little, some raise a lot, and each of them sometimes have a different project. But this year, maybe they'll all want to just do the same project because it's online and yeah. everybody can just go online. Yeah. It is really a, a by marvel the, to see by the what way, these kids their, can do. Where's the money going this year that they're raising? Water for to, water to, for water in Africa. Right? Um, yes, to a to a five hundred one c three to a public charity that that provides water for rural Africa. It is incredible. And so we hope that you'll join with us. Look at the BYU radio um, app and you. where will it be exactly on there? Yeah, right on the write-up on byuradio.org. Yeah. And you find our show and then you'll we'll put the, the web address there. But Linda, I think what we're trying to say is there's a lot of wonderful Christmas traditions and we're not discounting and no one should. Just the fun things, just the dinner you have, the gingerbread houses you might make, the, 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 the traditions you do on how you get up in the morning on Christmas and how you open the presents and all that is wonderful stuff. But I think all of us as parents, somewhere in our hearts, we're like, how do we help our children feel more gratitude for the Savior, for the good things they have, and how do we build in giving, giving traditions? Yeah. Sometimes that involves maybe taking them down to the homeless shelter and seeing people who are in need. And, you know, we, we took a group of young people down there one time and they, for dinner, we took a dinner down to the family center and it was quite incredible. By the end of the evening, they were all just like, oh my gosh, I met the most fascinating people. They were incredible. And I was thinking, you know, except for the grace of God, there go I. I mean, these people were incredible. Truly, some of them were off, you know, uh, in La La Land, but most of them were just wonderful people. And it, it is so good to expose these kids to the real world, especially right now during the time of the pandemic. It is so important for them to realize how many people are really suffering. And the more we talk about that, Linda, the more aware I am that for, for so many years we've been trying to find these traditions that would get our kids more into giving. I remember, we'll, we'll go on with this a little further next week. We're going to do Christmas Stories Part 2 on the next podcast. But I remember a time in England when we had found an orphanage. And, and orphanages in England are, at least in those days, were pretty, they were pretty draconian. I mean, they were like old world, like uh, haunted yeah. house type there orphanages. There are no more orphanages. And, and, and we went places. there, and I remember one of our daughters, um, we said, what do you want to bring for the orphans? And, and this sweet little four-year-old, I think was, she was about four, came out of her room with her best doll, the one she loved the most. Yeah. 
And we said, oh, you don't want to get, I mean, we were like, no, we no. We pay a lot for that doll. And she said, no, no, I want to give this to someone that doesn't have a doll. And when you see that, when you see a child feeling that kind of joy, then you suddenly know you're doing the right thing. You're, you're helping the real meaning, the real flow of Christmas to shine through, which is pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. We really wish you the very best during this Christmas season. Do some thinking about helping your children to enjoy giving as much as getting. And do your own stories. Make your own stories. That's the important part. It really is so great. We love you. We hope you have a Merry Christmas. And we'll see you next week for part two of Christmas Stories on Ayers on the Road. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.